week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Guys, there's a fish man, there's a 3D printer, it's complicated. Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season seven, episode 19 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Empty Places. As well as Gilmore Girls, it's just like riding a bike. Now, I know you weren't in love with these episodes, and I hear you on that, but I, I think some important work's being done in them. Oh, yeah, important work's being done. I just, they were both kind of bummer episodes at this stage sure. in the game. Some bummer stuff happened to both. Some bummer stuff. But we're not there yet. Happy Fourth of July, if you are American and like the Fourth of July. Even if you're not American and you just like the Fourth of July, happy Fourth of July to you as well. Yeah. This is coming out on the 4th of July, if you're confused why we're saying that. Yeah, we weren't just promoting that day in particular. Right. We had a little date night yesterday. That was fun. We did. We had dinner and a movie. We saw Asteroid City. I liked it a lot. I liked it middle amount. Mostly positive? Mostly positive. It's very weird. It's a Wes Anderson film, if you're not familiar. And it was very different. But I liked I liked it. I liked it. You know what? It's a weird style of film, but it's kind of cool that there's some people that just, like, have a style. And you can be like, that's that guy's movie, without even, like, seeing whose movie it is. No, I really liked the style quite a bit. But sometimes it's just like, this character is a weirdo because every character is a weirdo. And sometimes I I like it because they sort of justify. Sometimes they don't. Like, Steve Carell's character is just Mm. a, I think he's an alien. The, The show does not say that, but I think he is. Sure. Could be. The movie doesn't say that, but I just, to me, that makes sense. The play. The movie's a play. That's not a spoiler. No. Is it? I mean, if it is, you find out within the first, like, two minutes. Yeah, it's maybe not in the trailer, but it's, like, the first thing they say. But we recommend. Yeah. But it's maybe not for everybody. We also had some questions. We're trying to figure out where we want to travel. We've always wanted to go to Europe. I've been, but I want to go to some other places, and I've never been there with you. And this project is maybe coming to an end soon. We might take a little break or a celebration trip. And we were just curious if any of y'all have been abroad or live abroad and can give us some recommendations of where to go. I've already been to Spain. I've already been to Portugal. I've already been to France. I've already been to Italy. So Would you not go back to those places? I would go to those places again. I'm just saying I've already been to those places. I would go again. You've been to Amsterdam as well? Yes, I have. Yeah, so what are we looking for? Let's give them some some ways to narrow it down. What do we what do you see yourself doing on this trip, Brian? I mean, eating good food and seeing stuff that I haven't seen before. Yes. Are we city people? Are we hiking people? I would like to yeah, we, we we could do both. I'm a little hesitant of hiking in like a foreign country just because it's scary. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't want to go somewhere like too remote. We're not like that adventurous, but we do a cool scenic walk for sure. Yeah. But yeah, some good food. We're not like nightclub people we're not discotheque people no but we like a good like wine bar with yeah good vibes we don't like loud music god we're old we like music we just don't like super loud music we don't want to go dancing and we don't want kids on our lawn <laughs> but yeah good food i want to see some castles i want to see some old shit cool i haven't seen i saw some in montreal but um we obviously don't speak every language in Europe. No, we speak like one and a half. 
of the European languages. Brian speaks Spanish pretty well, and I can understand some. Um, yeah. That's about it. So keep that in mind when you're suggesting things. Where can we get around easily enough without offending anyone with our Americanness? And obviously we speak English. We don't translate all this before we <laughs> do the <laughs> podcast. But Germany was a place that you talked about. Uh, yeah. We'd also like to go to England. That'd be cool. Scotland, Ireland, maybe. Yeah. But you kind of want to go to Spain again. That, that's Dude, there was this meat, okay? It's called mm-hmm. Pringa. It's like pork that they like put a weight on top of. I, I don't, there's, I've seen how they make it. It's insane. It, it just looks like a goo, like a bloody goo. And it is so damn good. Like it was just unreal how good it was. And I want that again. Enough that I will go to another country across an ocean to have it again. Has anyone had this before, Pringa? It's just like a meat that I would put on a sandwich. It was so good. I had this in Sevilla. Please, someone else tell me they've had this. But yeah, send us your recs. You can DM us. Maybe I'll make an official post about it. If you can get Pringa in the States, please tell me because I've been looking for it. Sure, yeah. Are we keeping it to Europe only? That seems easiest. I think that's what we're focused on right now. Not yeah. that we wouldn't go other places. That seems places. like a good starter international location. Well, we've been other places. We've been to Australia. We have been to Australia. We've been to China. We had a layover in Hong Kong when we went to Australia. And we got out and we got a meal and then we left. Yes, we did leave the airport. It was important to us that we we're like, we're in China. Um, I would definitely go to Tokyo, but I don't know that that's happening this time around. Right. Totally. Same. I also want to go to like Thailand. That sounds awesome. But again... Europe seems easier first time around. Do we have any five-star reviews? Oh, we do. Nice. From Facebook, thank you to Mira Woods. Thank you. From Spotify, thank you to Abby. Thank you. On Spotify, we had a listener named Sammy who kind of went through and commented on some of the episodes. She actually pointed out a couple of interesting things. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So the episode where Willow became Warren, she said that maybe Kennedy worked out that the punishment was from Willow's subconscious. So the cure had to be two. So the kiss was just like a placebo because Willow knows from fairy tales that that makes things all better. Thought that was an interesting idea. Yeah, sure, that is. So thank you for sharing your thoughts, Sammy. Thank you. From a podcast addict, shout out to Red Morant. Thank you. And a Canadian listener left a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Brandy078. Thank you. Is it the Brandy? Like my ex-girlfriend? Yeah, Brian's looking for a Brandy. The first woman I slept with, her name was Brandy. And it... Was? It was awesome. a... <laughs> it was the best. I just wish it had... It's never been as good. <laughs> <laughs> just every time, I wish. Brandy! Chasing that dragon. But, like, we broke up shortly after that. It was, it was weird. She uh, was problematic as a person, let's just say. And I I don't remember her last name. Or have any idea where she is now. Yeah, and I kind of just want to look her up and be like, what is going on with you right now? Well, maybe Canada. Is that you, Brandy? Remember we had really bad sex after you made me eat a bunch of KFC? <laughs> <laughs> eat it. I like it before. I'm greasy. <laughs> it makes it better. You want a biscuit? <laughs> have a biscuit. Butter it. <laughs> yeah, right. You love butter. Yeah, yeah. It's good for you. It's good for me. <laughs> she was pushy. If anything, it, in a lot of ways, it was like Faith, the way she slept with Xander, very similar. Huh. It was like, oh, this is happening? You want this? Okay, cool. Anyway. Okay, well, thank you again to all the five-star reviewers and to Brandy's near and far. Oh, and also a funny thing kind of happened. One of my coworkers was like out in the field speaking with a colleague of his, and they were talking about TV shows that they liked. 
And she mentioned that she likes Buffy and Gilmore Girls. And he's like, whoa, this girl I work with has a podcast about that. She's like, what's the podcast? It was ours. That's insane, isn't it? Yeah. So shout out to, I think I know your name, but I don't want to out you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know who you are. You know who you are. It got back to me. And uh, it was really cool to hear that story. It, it proved to my coworkers that my side business is legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> This week, we started with Buffy. Stacy, please tell us all about Empty Places. Empty Places is about the group kind of trying to regroup, figure out what to do next after the loss of some potentials in Xander's eye. And they don't know if that is going to involve Buffy as much as it did before. Right? Yeah. So we open on the main street of Sunnydale where a lot of the citizens are closing up shop and heading out of town. It took them seven years, but they've finally realized things are bad here. How bad does it have to get? I mean, like every <laughs> single day, people are like exploding or getting eaten by dragons. There were dragons coming out of the sky and people stayed. Yeah, season five. Like, well, it's just one dragon. It's fine. If it were a bunch of dragons, I'd move. But houses cost $10 in the city. <laughs> yeah. But the property taxes are so low. Oh, my God. Well, whatever spell was clouding their judgment previously has been lifted. And Buffy's wandering through the exodus in the opposite direction. when she bumps into Clem, who's also leaving town in his VW bug. Sarah is sick as shit, by the way. Her voice is very yeah. hoarse. This happened earlier in the season, too. I wonder if she just had something all season. Hmm. Does she smoke? I don't think Maybe. so. Clem mentions he's trying to cut back on his cat eating, but I don't know. Dude's got a look on his face like he recently went on a big cat bender. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know that look. I love how Clem is like low-key, like, yeah, I'm a demon and I do bad stuff, but I like, know. I'm pretending I don't because I don't want to die. <laughs> I know. I also love that he's just like the nicest dude, but he does murder one of our most beloved animals. <laughs> yeah. And before we go further, it is so evil, quote-unquote, that he eats cats, but cats are evil, guys. Cats eat. Yeah. And kill animals all the time. So I'm on Team Clem here. They're not nice. So it's just so funny where he's like, you know, I, I'm stopping for moral reasons. We love Kurt more than anything in the world, but he does not love us at all. That's not true. He loves us when he's hungry. I think he loves us, but he just doesn't sh express love the same way we do. Yeah. He expresses love by often sitting as far away from us as he can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about you from over here. Yeah. yeah, I miss you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I preferred it when I missed you. I really thought about how I was missing you. It's beautiful. Why don't you Absence stay over there? Absence makes the heart grow fonder, babies. <laughs> babies? It's both of us, yeah. Why don't you guys leave for a while so I can miss you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go to work. Go to work. Clem's like, yeah, things are real bad this time. I don't think anyone's going to be able to stop it. Which isn't what Buffy needed to hear in this moment. He tries to backpedal for a bit, but is ultimately like, yeah, maybe you should go too? She's like, yeah, I, I probably should, but she won't. And Clem drives away forever. Yeah, that is the last we're going to see of him. He's not going to come to Angel? No. <gasps> Did you really expect Clem to come to Angel? Yes. He's a good demon. That's where all the good demons go. <laughs> okay. So Clem is just driving around very publicly in the daytime. Yeah. But yet they had to invent this whole circus people logic for why demons exist at Xander's wedding. I mean, to be fair, this is Sunnydale. Everyone here is like, yeah, we know. But do people know? Like, at Xander's wedding, there were Sunnydale residents they had to lie to. Were they Sunnydale residents, or were they lying to, like, his family? His parents live in Sunnydale. That's true. I guess they do. Some were from out of town, for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, he's very openly like, I'm a demon outside. You'd think at least people would be like, what the hell? I got a red car. (laughs) Willow and Giles are at the police station, tricking the cops into giving them some documents. Giles is pretending to be an inspector from Interpol, and Willow's using magic to mind control the cop. During this, some other cops are very violently bringing in a man who they deem crazy. He does seem a little crazy, kind of like in season five, Glory, all those people that started kind of just saying shit. But he's trying to explain to the cops that from beneath you it devours, so he might have a point. Yeah, they should listen. Willow and Giles clock that the cops are kind of being a lot. And when we see them talking amongst themselves, we learn that they're really itching for justice, especially when they receive word that a fugitive is in town. Will and Buffy are visiting Xander at the hospital. Buffy's trying to be really positive, probably because she's feeling guilty that her plan last week resulted in Xander's eye getting gouged out. But he's likely being released today, so everything's on the up and up. Yeah. She's like, cool, well, I gotta go. Thanks for getting this police paper, Willow. And Will is like, hold up, I thought we were all gonna, like, play cards with Xander, you know? Be his friends after his maiming. Buffy's like, yeah, I just, I gotta go save the world and I'm uncomfortable here. That's not true. She says, yeah, I gotta go, I gotta <laughs> save the world right now, because I got bronchitis. <laughs> yeah, she does. But Willow stays. Her and Xander try to keep the mood light by making a bunch of jokes about Xander dressing up like a pirate. And he did once for Halloween. Mm-hmm. He references that. Mm-hmm. But Willow quickly gets emotional. Xander's like, don't do that. You're going to make me emotional. I'm not even sure what crying looks like for me at this point. (laughs) It was sweet, though. Willow says Bessie, and she feels bad. Like, they don't really ever talk about it, but it is like, yeah, this is going to change your life. Yeah, I liked this scene a lot. It Mm -hmm. really, because, like, Allison Hannigan is just swinging for the fences here. She's really portraying Willow's grief and sadness for Xander so well here and it really I you buy it you buy that she cares about him and is like wants to put this apocalypse stuff on hold so she can take care of her best friend it is this awkward dance too because they like don't want to make Buffy feel bad because they already know she probably feels awful and like has a lot on her plate right so they're like not bringing it up but it's like you made us do this and a lot of people died and Santa lost his eye forever now yeah but I also, you know, I just, I've always loved the Willow-Xander friendship aspect of the show. And honestly, I wish the show leaned into it a little bit more. But this scene for me really was like, yes, they're best fucking friends. They love each other. Mm-hmm. I loved this scene. Nicholas Brandon doesn't blow it away for me. No, not at all. He actually has a particularly bad line reading in this, I think. I totally agree. And I'm just like, keep the camera on Allison. She will sell this for all of us. Okay, guys? He's just like, oh, Willow. <laughs> I know, so that dry. line. It was like... I expected Kevin Sorbo to be like his line reading partner. <laughs> if you don't know Kevin Sorbo uh, as a famous part where he just read some stage directions. Disappointed. Disappointed. We'll link it. You got to watch it. Basically, he he was supposed to be disappointed, but he he read the word aloud, the stage direction. Oh, Willow. <laughs> Back at the Summy Res, Anya and Andrew are doing a little presentation in the basement for all the potentials. They're trying their best to motivate them, but everything is bad. There are currently no bright sides upon which to look. And Anya... <laughs> Thanks for the poetry. <laughs> Thank you. Anya's like, yeah, the Uber ramps are coming. We know they can be staked, but their tests are pretty much only penetrable by someone with super strength, so that's none of you yet. Andrew's, like, kind of writing some of what she says on this presentation board. He's writing everything she says, no matter how relevant it is or is not. <laughs> yeah. 
the girls are like, yeah, so these things are impossible to kill, and that's terrifying, but we're more scared of that dude that showed up last week that, like, actually killed a couple of us. Ani's like, yeah, I, I didn't really prepare anything on that topic. Look, I'm only doing this to distract myself from thinking about poor Xander, who I just had breakup sex with on that cot that many of you are currently sitting on. Yeah. Andrew writes breakup sex on the board. Yeah. And then Anya basically finishes up by saying, yeah, I know everything's awful, but we can't just give up. And we need to be as prepared as we can for everything. Kennedy bails on that. She goes upstairs where Faith is sitting on the kitchen counter eating some off-brand chips that we briefly thought were called titties. <laughs> it's from when it first shows up, it looks like tits on it. It's just a T-I-T, but it's like Tito's or something. It's clearly a bag of ruffle lays. Kennedy asks if she can have some, and Faith says, trade you for a carton of cigarettes and some soap. Sorry, habit. <laughs> it's funny. So this is basically a women's prison. She did not upgrade much. Yeah. Amanda comes up to tell Faith about how defeated everyone's feeling, how they can't get any new info on this Caleb guy. Just then, Buffy comes home with the papers that Willow got from the police. It seems like it's just a list of, like, violence, vandalism associated with California religious institutions in the last 10 years, but it's somewhere to start. Dawn's trying to ask Buffy how Xander is doing, because they're besties, but Buffy's really dodging the subject. It makes her uncomfortable. Kennedy makes a comment about how Caleb rendered Buffy useless with one punch, and Buffy's like, you know what, I'm just going to go to the school and uh, pick up some of my stuff because there's too many realities to deal with up in here. <laughs> too many realities? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So Buffy goes to the school. It's abandoned. She goes to her office and finds one of those framed photos from that photo shoot she, Xander, and Willow must have done circa season one. She finds this photo in various rooms every season, I think. <laughs> I bet Caleb's got it. He's got one of these. She's having some emotions about that for a while when Caleb pops up. And she's pretty terrified. Like, she's all alone, and she knows this guy can kick her ass bad, kill yeah. her easily, probably. He can tell she's trying to suddenly look for a weapon or some way to fight back. He tells her she better not do that, or he'll poke Xander's other eye out. She's like, go near Xander and I'll end you. He's like, oh yeah? Table flip, bitch. He flips the table. <laughs> He tries to convince her to, like, look on the bright side because she's going to be part of history. There's going to be a huge power shift in the world, essentially, and she's going to be part of it. Why would she want to stop that? But she's not seeing the bright side upon which to look. So she starts fighting him. Buffy, you know you can't. He's very strong. He beat you. Yeah, but that was a dark cellar where she wasn't ready. This yeah, is she, her This turf. is her, this is her job. Right. I bet she kills him. You say you bet she kills him? Yeah. Did you not? Did you fall asleep? Yeah, I did. He says he likes that she's a wild one and that he's going to take pleasure in taming her. He hoists her up by the neck. He throws her through a glass window against a wall. He tells her he'll see her soon and then leaves. So, no, she does not kill him. Oh, wow. That didn't go well. No. Back at home, Dawn's found a helpful document and she's showing to Giles. While Andrew's got some hot pocket drama with Faith, he'd like Giles to help mediate. He opens the freezer to show Giles the empty Hot Pocket box. This freezer should be stuffed, and it is not at all. Yeah. There's a lot of empty spaces. Is that where the title comes from? There's empty places <laughs> in the freezer? <laughs> they need, like, multiple refrigerators. Yeah. I love how little Giles gives a shit about what Andrew's saying at any point <laughs> in this episode. He just completely ignores Andrew the entire time he's talking. Well, Giles and Don are in the midst of a discovery in these papers. It's not really clear what this is. Giles sees, like, a cross symbol on a picture of an altar. He, like, zooms in on with a magnifying glass. The picture's from an abandoned mission up north. 
Yeah, I don't know how he sees this. I don't know what kind of weird magic eye training he's been doing that he's it's able to spot this. But also like a religious institution photo that they're looking at. Like it's not yeah. weird that there's a cross symbol. Totally. I'm like, what? Why is this worth driving to? Don mentioned that this was like on the list of places, but it didn't seem to have any like vandalism or violent. I don't know. It like stood out to her as being different, which is why she flagged it. And then he sees the tiny cross. Andrew just keeps bugging him about the hot pocket. And Giles is like, shut up, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So then Giles sends Amanda to get Spike from the basement because he has a mission for him. Spike comes up. He's like, what's up, Rupert? Still mad at him for trying to have him killed, of course. So he's not really jazzed to partake in another one of Giles' missions. Faith comes in finishing off Andrew's hot pocket. And he's That's just like funny. glaring at her. Like you said, Giles has had enough of Andrew. So he sends him with Spike because, you know, he's a demon expert. If things get bad, he can use his little flute thing or maybe die and stop bugging me about the hot pockets. The room is just covered in depressed potentials. <laughs> the ones without lines are all just like slumped on the couch, not moving. Faith's like, I know how to cheer them up. So she takes them to the packed bronze. I thought everyone was leaving town. Everyone was leaving town except for all of these people who were like, I got a party at the bronze tonight. I guess. They make a comment about the band. Like, why is the band still playing during an apocalypse? And Dawn says, like, I think this band is a sign of it. So I was like, what's this band? Are they called, like, the Four Horsemen or something? So I looked it up, and the band is Nerve Herder, the band that plays the intro song. Nice. So it was a fun little nod to them. Yeah. Buffy comes home to find no one except Giles. He notices she's hurt. She tells him about what happened with Caleb. He tells her he sent Spike to investigate this place Caleb may have been hanging out up north. She's like, oh, really? He sent Spike on a potentially dangerous mission? <coughs> She's sick. <laughs> She's pissed, which is only exacerbated when he tells her that Faith took the girls to the bronze. And maybe Faith's plan wasn't so great. Because back at the bronze, innocent little Amanda's wasted, rambling about how great Faith is. And then the mean, mean cops show up because Faith is the fugitive they were looking for. So they take her out to the alley to shoot her? Yeah, I think they're gonna, well, I think they're gonna beat her to death. Honestly. But they have their guns on her. Right, but I think that's just to like make her do whatever they want. Yeah, it seems extreme, but as Rona soon puts it, these cops are really getting hell-mouthed, so it's clear the cops are being influenced. Yeah, I wish they had set that up a little bit earlier. They did set up that they were being aggressive, but yeah. like... I know, the first time when we saw the cops being aggressive with the crazy, quote-unquote, guy, I was like, well, maybe there's just more crazy people because of the hell-mouth that they're dealing with. Yeah. But Faith beats their guns away from them, which none of them are able to recover. <laughs> it's all yeah, I know. hand to hand from here on out. She can only fight somebody at one time. You think somebody else could have picked up a gun. There's one cop inside that's not letting Dawn and the potentials out to help Faith. He shows them he's not afraid to use his gun. He like shoots it in the air. But eventually the potentials are able to stand up to him. Kennedy like knocks the gun out of his hand and they get past him. They assist Faith in beating up the cops outside. And Buffy shows up like right as Faith is knocking out a cop. Looks bad. Yeah. I'm going to assume she didn't kill them, but maybe. No, I don't I don't think she killed them. I, mean, I don't feel like Faith would. Yeah, that's true. Old Faith obviously would have, but I think that's sort of like her character wouldn't do that anymore. And Buffy would be like her, way... I still, I don't think she would have. I think Buffy also would have been like way angrier if right, she had right. just killed some cops. But like you said, this doesn't look good. Buffy's like, what's going on here? All the girls come pouring out. Buffy tells them to go home. She points out that they're drunk. They don't seem that drunk, but some of them are holding bottles, I guess. Buffy's pissed at Faith for being so reckless with the girls. 
I get Faith's point about them needing a morale booster, but it probably was pretty stupid to take them out like that. I, I, I don't know how I feel because on the one hand, I feel like this was a big bonding opportunity for the girls, not just socially getting drunk and stuff, but like working together to beat the cops. Oh, sure. The evil cops. I mean, she didn't know that would happen, though. I agree with you. But like at the end of the day, I feel like that was helpful to them. And also, like, the alternative is they just, like, sit in a in a house scared that they're going to die any moment. Get a keg. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I think ultimately it probably was a good morale booster and team building exercise. But they shouldn't be going out at all, really, where they're not protected. I mean, are they protected there? The bringers don't need invites. Willow could do a spell. But is Willow even at the house? I think we've said that in the past, that we think they're always at the house, like not even staying at Xander's what they are now, because Buffy's there to protect them and Willow is there to protect them. But Faith was with them at the bronze. That's true. But she's dancing, boys. (laughs) Okay, that's distracting. I think we can agree it's a little chancy. But yeah, I see your point that these girls are just like sitting at home being depressed and that's not good either. I feel for me it's like there's not a clear option that's like the best. Yeah. So while I understand that Faith's decision maybe, you know, doesn't tick all the boxes as like the, the best thing to do, I, I, I don't think it's the worst thing either. All right, I'm done ranting. But Faith's like, what about you, Buffy? You put the girls in danger, sending them into the vineyard. Buffy doesn't like this, so she punches Faith and leaves. Meanwhile, Caleb is talking to his Buffy, the first. She's sick too. <laughs> yeah, isn't that so funny? Because like they can justify it with Buffy. Previously, when she had a cold, they like said she did. But, like, they can't be like, and the first also does. (laughs) And the first really likes to mimic your current voice. Sounds like Caleb's happy with how his plan is going, to have Buffy march all the potentials into danger. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Spike and Andrew are taking a little motorcycle ride through the country. Andrew's on the back, holding on to Spike's waist, wearing that football helmet that Spike found for Dawn at the beginning of season six. They bond over their love of onion blossoms, and Spike tries to explain the trick of making them. It's a fun little scene. He also says, tell anyone we had this conversation and I'll bite you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's set up previously that he likes blooming onions. So it's kind of a, a fun callback too. Yeah. I wonder if he means like he'll bite him like in a way that would kill him or just like kind of a play bite. Huh. He won't really do it. Probably not. They get to this religious place. They both agree places like this make them feel funny inside. And then they're attacked by a man in a cloak. He's got that little symbol branded onto his face. Spike's like, hey, what's your deal? What's going on here? Guy doesn't want to seem to talk about it, so Andrew decides to play bad cop, which he's not great at. But the dude's actually pretty willing to talk. I don't know why it was an issue. Yeah, he was like ready to spill the beans. He tells them that a few nights ago, they welcomed a man in who was very jazzed to find this secret room they have, which also contained an ancient inscription. But when he read the inscription, he was no longer jazzed. He got super pissed and... He was the purest evil this priest had ever seen. And then Caleb burned his mark upon him. So the priest ran and hid and listened to the others die. I'm realizing now that maybe when he burned that potential with a cigarette lighter in the last episode, that was maybe also his symbol? Oh, maybe. I rewatched it. It kind of just looked like a regular burn from like a circle. It might have been. Willow took a picture of it. That's right. So that's why I'm like, it must gonna be coming back somehow. Why, why did we see that it was documented? Mm-hmm. Spike reads the transcription aloud, and it says, It is not for thee, it is for her alone to wield. What does that mean? What's going on? Is there some kind of weapon? What's going on? I don't know. Sounds like gobbledygook to me. Probably won't come back. 
<laughs> so I'm, I'm going to guess there's some kind of weapon or tool that is meant for Buffy or some slayer that Caleb thought was meant for him, but it is not. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Brian may or may not want to 3D print it. <laughs> there's some object from the show he wants to 3D print that I have not encountered yet. So it seems like it might be it. We got a 3D printer, MBD. Brian bought his own instead of harassing the fish man. Did we talk about the fish man? No, I gave no context okay. for that. I was like, what are you, what? Guys, there's a fish man, there's a 3D printer, it's complicated. Well, thank you for clearing that up. It's none of their business. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the Summy Res, Faith's out smoking on the front porch when Principal Wood shows up for the big meeting. They somehow know who each other are. I get her knowing who he is. There's only so many slightly older men showing up for this meeting. Yeah. But there's a ton of young women at this house. She could have been anybody. Did Buffy, like, mention Faith likes to smoke on the porch or something? It's I could see he could have looked up Faith. Sure. Like, she's in the database for being a prisoner. Yeah. He's probably interested in all Slayers as well. Yeah, totally. They kind of talk about Buffy a bit, how they're sort of worried about her. It gets kind of flirty. Why is she got to try to be with every one of Buffy's love interests? It's who she is. Then Xander gets home. All the girls are gathered in the living room for his arrival. Giles, too. Dawn gives Xander a big hug. The mood is very sad. Okay, like, so it, it is totally tragic that Xander lost his eye, right? Like, that is mm -hmm. life-changing and traumatic. But one or two of the potentials died, and no one's talking about that. Like, it's implied. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. They, someone throws, like, the name Molly in Buffy's face at some point, but no one ever is like, I'm so sad that a couple of our friends are gone. There's just so much more weight put on Xander. It makes sense because we care about Xander more than these randos. But like, it's just weird that they aren't speaking about it that much. Yeah, totally. They do say people are dying, but it's so generic. I guess like Xander's still walk like walking around as like a symbol of defeat and mutilation, whereas True. the other girls are not there. And like, yeah, you're sad about these other girls being there. But it does seem like they're putting a lot more weight on Xander. But again, he's still there and they have to react to him. The title of the episode, too, is, like, Empty Places. So I thought there'd be more weight on the fact that, like, there are fewer of them now. No, no, no. It was one of those empty places is, is uh, Xander's, Xander's eye socket. Eye socket. Yeah. So it's a lot of weight put there. Buffy comes out. She's very excited to share some news. They need to go back to the vineyard. She tells them how Caleb was, like, talking a lot about the school and the seal and the hellmouth. But she thinks if the seal and the hellmouth are really so important to his master plan, he and his bringers would be there protecting them. But they're not. They're at the vineyard. So she suspects that maybe the source of their power is at the vineyard and they should go in there again and try to take it. Obviously, no one is on board. And this quickly becomes an intervention for Buffy. Faith is the first one to speak. She's like, yeah, how about we don't do that? I'm not going back there. At least not without some kind of proof that you're actually right about this. Buffy tries to interject, but Principal Wood is like, I think Faith had the floor, sweetie. Ooh. Yeah. He jumped Ooh. ship hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he spent all that money on that little cross shed, mm -hmm. and Buffy was all like, you can't use it, and so he's pissed. I mean, Buffy has, like, threatened to kill him if he tries to hurt Spike again, so I, they're probably not doing great. But also, I think the clear thing for him is the mission is what matters, right? So yeah. he's he probably is mad at Buffy, but also he's like, I agree with Buffy as far as personal kindness or empathy doesn't matter as much as getting done what needs to get done, and maybe Faith has something important to say here. It does seem like any chance of romance between them is kind of dead. Yeah. Giles is like, well, Buffy, since you're pissed anyway at me, I'm going to just jump ship too. This is a terrible plan. You have no idea if there's anything even in there that justifies going in. 
For most of the scene, I was convinced that Buffy was the first. Because Caleb has basically said he's going to use the first in the form of Buffy to mislead these girls. Yeah. Also, she's in the middle of the room. No one's touching her. Honestly, Spike knows that the first can take the form of Buffy. Has he told people that? I can't remember if he's even told Buffy. I mean, I guess they should all know that it's possible because she's been dead. But she's not dead. I feel like it's Grey. Like, is there another example of someone that they've seen that is currently alive? Spike. Have they seen Spike? I don't know. Well, Spike's seen Spike. Right, but has Spike told Buffy who he's all seen? Maybe I see what you're saying. early on when he was incoherent? I guess I see exactly what you're saying. I think the the show is trying to be like, well, you guys have seen it, so they all know too. But yeah. no, we don't see them explain it. If he hasn't shared that info, he absolutely should. And you if they totally. do know, someone should be in charge of poking Buffy every time she comes into a room. <laughs> I'm sure Spike would volunteer for that job too. <laughs> As probably would Xander and some of the potentials. We, we should just always be poking Buffy. <laughs> That's just like such a funny idea. She's like giving one of her speeches and someone just like slowly going up to her and tapping her like, okay, yeah, it's her. <laughs> but she goes on to be like, come on, guys, I've kept you safe for seven years. You got to trust me. She suggests that Giles even sent Spike away so they could ambush her like this. Mm-hmm. Rona's like, enough about Spike, girl. And then all the important potentials chime in, agreeing that she's being reckless. She's getting them killed. Even Willow says she's worried about Buffy's judgment. Buffy's like, well, this isn't a democracy. Someone needs to take charge in a situation like this. And then Anya just goes off on her. She's like, oh, it has to be you? You think you're better than us? And then she just really goes in hard about how Buffy has all these powers handed to her. She's not, like, actually better than any of them. She's just luckier. Yeah, I mean, I think Anya makes a good point in that she's like, I think she sort of implies, like, you could be better. You could be a better leader, but we don't know that that's true. Yeah. Like, all we know is that you've been giving the keys to the kingdom, and you have the keys. Maybe you deserve the keys, but we don't know that you do. You just act as if you do. And then the guest of honor, Xander. <laughs> there does seem to be so much, like, reverence for him as he's yeah. sitting there, all injured. They give him, like, a throne in the middle. He chimes in, and he's like, yeah, Buffy, you've gotten us this far, but not without a price. I'm trying to see your point here, but I guess it must be a little to my left. Oh! Yeah, that's where Molly used to stand. <laughs> Molly is one of the girls that's dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then people are kind of like, okay, sure. Maybe we need someone in charge, but you're not the only slayer, Buffy. Faith's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want this. And then Buffy says a whole bunch of mean stuff about Faith and her past. She gives her shit for taking them out the other night. Faith's like, sure. Maybe that was dumb, but at least I know their names. That's what I've been saying. Buffy doesn't really act like she cares about these people individually anyway. Yeah. She's like an army she needs. I mean, she doesn't. This season is so interesting for Buffy. She's so like unempathetic. The mission. They should really be checking to make sure she's not the Buffy bot. <laughs> and I get it though, because she's like, this is the biggest battle we've ever been against. This, the first is way stronger than even Glory was. Like, I just don't have time to be nice. There's no time for tomfoolery, except that one episode where I went on a date. Yeah, <laughs> but like she's written so interesting this season where she's like, it's not exactly like I'm making the most logical decisions because that's not true. Like the most logical decision would have put the chip back into to Spike's head to just for safety concerns. But I, she's sort of like, it's all or nothing. We either win or we don't. We, we need to take every advantage because we're already probably going to lose. Right. So she's like, it's on all or nothing. And that probably doesn't sound good when you're just one of the people she might put in the front line because she just doesn't care. Because she, I think she has to divorce herself from having empathy for all these girls because she knows so many of them are going to die. 
That's true. So it's like, if I feel bad for Molly, then I'm going to be emotionally stunted when I need to make a crucial decision the next day, the next battle. You're right. Because that's why she's avoiding thinking about Xander, too. I agree. And from our perspective, it's like, it's a little monstrous. But like, I get why Buffy feels that way. But it's also a little callous of her to be like, oh, Giles, you betrayed me. Where it's like, yeah, well, he was trying to do the most logical thing, too, by killing Spike. I agree that, like, they sort of do need Spike, but until they did that last spell, he could have killed them all at any point. One of our listeners, I believe their name is Sid, pointed out on Facebook. Sid always has great things to say. That the show is just, like, very well written. I think their comment was specifically regarding the Giles betraying Buffy about Spike issue. Yeah. But just the fact that, like, everyone's perspective is correct there's not, like, a correct answer. Mm-hmm. And Gilmore Girls is that way a lot as well, I think, where you really see everyone's perspective and, like, why there's conflict. But I, I see Buffy's point, and she probably does really believe she is doing the right thing here. But in this case, literally nobody else does. And I, I can see why they think she's wrong and being crazy and irrational. It's just a tough place for everyone to be in, and I can't imagine who would like to – like, it sucks that someone has to be in charge and make these tough decisions. I do feel like Buffy, though, is just making very big, rash decisions. We've seen her do that throughout this season. And, like, maybe those aren't always the best decisions, and maybe sometimes they should talk about it. Like, call her out? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't talk about this in the last episode as much as I wanted to, but, like, Giles made a decision that went behind Buffy's back, and Buffy hated him for this. And you talked about how we see everyone's perspective and how we had the commenter mention that, which was really helpful. But, like, I think that Giles' perspective is, it is forgivable in my mind because he has always been, like, Buffy's a hero. She, like, has to do good no matter what. She can't do gray area stuff. She does all good. Uh, And that is why Giles had to kill Glory in the form of Ben in season five. Because he makes it clear when he's talking to Ben that Glory's going to keep coming back for Buffy. And let's face it, Buffy beat Glory, like, just barely. Like, she had so many things in her favor in that moment to be able to beat Glory. And she can't kill Glory, meaning Glory will eventually just keep coming back. Even if Buffy beats her the next time, she'll keep coming back until she kills Buffy and all of her friends. So Giles had to be the one to do it. He had to do this dirty deed of the gray area of killing Ben, who... At this time in the episode, is he an innocent? He made some decisions that weren't good because he wants to live. But he is an innocent in the aspect that he didn't ask for any of this and he just wants to live a life. But Giles had to be the one to kill him. And if, we, if we're being real, that was the best decision for them to make. Otherwise, Buffy would be dead now or Buffy's friends would be dead now. I guess Buffy did die saving, but like Glory would have come back and season six would have been about how Glory's run in Sunnydale. And that's not fun. No. So Instead, we did the trio. Yeah, which is way worse. So I get Giles' point of view, man. That's, that's all I wanted to say. Buffy tries to say she's, like, willing to listen and negotiate, but it's too late. Everyone's looking at Faith to be the leader. She says she doesn't know if she can lead, but the real question is, can Buffy follow? So they call a vote, and it's clear which way this is going to go. Buffy says she can't stay here and watch Faith lead them into some disaster, and then Dawn gets up and tells her, then you can't stay here. Dawn, you're not real. You can't evict her. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, Don. But no one seems to object, even Willow. I don't understand this, like, you can't stay here thing then. Like, okay, she could just stay there and not be in charge. Can she? Can she follow? Okay, Faith. <laughs> I know. I had the same thought. I was like, what, we're just kicking her out? What does that have to do with anything? But it, I guess because of what Faith said, like, if she's here, she's going to be annoying. So she goes. This is where I figured out she wasn't the first. One, because she touched the door. But... 
too. Because she still seems, like, sad after she's outside and nobody's looking at her. Yeah. The first would have, like, smiled and rubbed their hands after they left. But, I mean, their plan didn't work, so. Rona says, ding dong, the witch is dead. And then Dawn's like, you shut your mouth. So, clearly Dawn isn't, like, psyched that she had to kick Buffy out. Right. Faith follows Buffy out to her smoking porch to try to tell her that she didn't plan this coup. And Buffy, through tears, tells Faith not to be afraid to lead and gives her some words of encouragement. Faith goes back inside and Buffy walks away. We got to talk about this scene. This is just like such a dividing scene, such a controversial scene. So many people hate this and I get it. For one, to me, it's like, I don't know that they had to kick her out. I, I heard your point of view, but I feel like it's just like, okay, well, you don't have to leave, but you're not in charge. Lock her in the basement with Spike or something. Like, she would, they would both love that. Yeah. Is he invited back? I'm interested to see like if she goes to him now. Mm. And I do feel like she's made some judgment calls that, like, maybe aren't in in the individual people's best interest. Like, she rushed into Caleb's winery without doing enough recon and got a bunch of people killed. That's part of being a slayer. It's like being a leader, too, is you make decisions. Not everyone's perfect. And it sucks that they're like, you made this one decision that was bad, so you're no longer in charge. It's like, yeah, but she's also made about a million that were great decisions. And, and I think this is where everyone gets upset. You're kicking her out of her own home. She's saved the world like a million times. She has. It's just so tough. Because I remember in season four in the Jonathan episode where Buffy's like, I don't think this is real. I think something's up. And like, I remember Riley being like, yeah, that sounds insane to me that Jonathan isn't like the coolest man in the world. But like, I've learned to trust Buffy. Mm-hmm. So like, this seems like fantasy insanity, but we're going to trust Buffy. So and I feel like that's like a good point that Riley made. Sorry, I hate to be pro Riley here. But like, <laughs> I feel like they need to be like, well, you know what? Buffy has made the right decision over and over and over again. And she sacrificed herself over and over again. So she's not just doing some selfish decision. So it's tough. I, I don't know. I, I get why they decided she shouldn't be in charge. But also kicking around the house is just like, she does not deserve that. She deserves the big bedroom by herself with Mr. Gordo. Well, at least she gets Mr. Gordo. Yeah, they hand that to her when she leaves. Take this. <laughs> Get it out of the house. It can't be in here. Well, Brian, was this a good episode? Uh, I think I think it was all right. It was all right. Love having Faith back. Love the new dynamic of Faith with all these girls. It's also fun seeing this all start to culminate, right? Because throughout the season, there's been all these episodes where it's like, there's two, four, three, two, one, four, two, one. Oh, how many girls are in the house? And now it's like, no, there's a ton of girls. It's like to the unmanageable at this point. They're all scared. Caleb is like unbeatable. He beats the shit out of Buffy. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of stress. I really love that scene with Willow and Xander. And they just get rid of one of Xander's eyes to pay all these girls. <laughs> It's <laughs> really funny. But uh, ultimately, I wanted more. Like, it wasn't a super funny episode. It did have, like, humor, all of Buffy episodes do, but it wasn't super funny. It wasn't super action-oriented. It's just kind of sad. Yeah, it's just a big bummer. Like, it ends on a bummer. I like what they're setting up. It's interesting that, like, Faith is going to try to lead. I like that. I'm assuming it'll all work out in the end, and Buffy and Faith are buddies, or Faith, Faith's going to die, and Buffy will feel bad about that and be like, thank you so much for leading these girls. Um, well, I think that moment was kind of powerful when Buffy left, too. Yes. It shows, again, that it's all about the mission, where she's like, this isn't the best decision, but I'm thrown out. There's nothing I can do. Like, she could have spat something hateful at Faith, but she was like, you know, you got to lead now. Yeah. A lot of it was this, like, cop drama, though, that was kind yeah, of Yeah, I hated all that, honestly. 
the whole cop stuff. It's it's all morally gray area. Yeah, they're being super aggressive, but like, I would, it's just kind of weird. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. It was just a way to have an action scene, maybe, but it didn't really feel necessary. It seemed forced and a little uncomfortable because it was like, are they just going to beat her up? Like, it, I don't know where that was going. And Buffy and Giles being bad isn't like really fun to watch. I don't know. There was definitely like a lot of powerful moments, but there weren't a lot of fun moments. And like some of the the focus of the episode wasn't that interesting to me. Yeah, I'm with you on this. It felt very set up-y. Yep. It, nothing was like resolved. I don't know. That's where we're at in this point of the show. I just, it wasn't like that fun of an episode. I, I do think there's something to say about as much as it maybe isn't the best viewing television. Like, I do think that everyone's nerves would be like just totally frayed in real yep. life in this situation. Yep. Like, probably even more than they're showing us. Like, you could die at any moment and people have totally different ideas of what the right way forward is. Right. And I, I see Giles' side here, too. And he's like, I got to make decisions while you're gone. Like, yeah, she was just fucking gone. And apparently doesn't have a cell phone. Like, <laughs> Yeah, she she didn't take it that one time. And then she's never taken it with her after that. <laughs> That's why her and Angel are meant to be together, I think. Because neither of them could figure out cell phones. Well, should we move on? Let's do it. Now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries, Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 7, Episode 19, Freaky Phoebe. I'm glad they come up with original ideas for their premises. Yeah, their titles are always so original and clever. After a spell is cast on Phoebe by the ugliest, quote-unquote, demon in the underworld, beauty-hungry sorceress Amara... Their souls switch bodies and Phoebe ends up becoming trapped in a cage. Okay, so I feel like she's not ugly, but she thinks she is. It's kind of like an opposite thing. I feel like there's another show or movie like that where like, I don't know, someone like aliens come to the earth and they just think we're ugly, but like they're really ugly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like that episode of The Twilight Zone. Sure. I haven't seen that, but. Where there's a a guy who's had surgery done. And, like, they don't want to show his face, and they finally do, and it's, you never see the doctor's faces, but they undo it, and they're, like, horrified when they see his face. And then you see his face, and it's just a human face. (laughs) But then you see the doctor's face, and they're, like, aliens, you know, and they're, like, oh, God, your face is so disgusting. And so this guy, who isn't a human, but, like, whatever happened to him gave him a human face, they send him to Earth, where this, uh ugly woman from earth that's got an alien face comes back and she's like you're gonna fit in with these aliens you look just like them (laughs) same idea so i think amara is played by like a beautiful woman but her people all think she's hideous so they lock her away they're like we don't even want to see you you're too human hot aka nasty demon meanwhile phoebe's got a pimple And she's really feeling self-conscious about it. There's a big gala coming up. All the sisters look gorgeous. Sisters and Paige. Paige isn't a sister. (laughs) Leo still doesn't have memories. He's around. Um, But uh, yeah, Phoebe is feeling not great. And Imara can't see Phoebe, but she's just got like a sense that in the above world, there's a woman that's feeling real ugly. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of beauty in the demon world that I'm looking for. Yeah, because it's opposite. So she switches their bodies, and then Phoebe's now trapped in a cage. Amara's in Phoebe's body. And Phoebe, you know, minus the pimple, is a beautiful woman. So now this demon is upset. She's like, ugh. So she tries to get more pimples. Like, she's at the house, and, you know, her sisters and stuff are like, hey, you're acting a little weird. What's up? Why are you eating so much nougat and, like, covering your face in not a mud mask, but actual mud? Pizza grease. Seems a little weird. And she's like, I don't don't know. She's throwing her voice for some reason. 
And she's like, why are you throwing your voice? Because just the souls are switched. <laughs> and she was like, wait, you know about that? Yeah. You put pizza grease on your face. And you keep calling yourself Amara. <laughs> so they just do some magic and switch her back. Yeah, easy peasy. They could see in Amara's eyes where, where Phoebe was. It's not very underground. As far as underworlds go, it's, it's towards the top. So it's just a simple spell just to switch him back. But Namara's still a beautiful, fortunately beautiful demon. After the soul switches back, Phoebe goes up to Amara and is like, listen, I can tell you my secrets on how to get a pimple. <laughs> All I have to do is have Piper try to cast a spell to get rid of any pimples on you, and it will definitely backfire and make you pimply. And that's what they do. And it works. She's covered in pimples. Yeah, and she's so happy. They let her out of the cage. She's such an ugly woman, and they love it. But, like, really covered in pimples. Like, they're bad. They're big. Yeah. They're deep. They're oozing. This is not your standard pimple. It's okay to get a pimple here and there. In moderation. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which is what Phoebe learned. She learned she was being a baby because her pimple wasn't a big deal. Yeah. But Amara's are, and she loves it. I don't know why Amara's getting rewarded, but, you know. Well, she's in a cage. You feel bad for people in cages. That's just generally how I feel about people in cages. Women helping women. It's nice. Yeah. After they steal your soul and stuff. Yeah. It was, it was a misunderstanding. Well... It's a nice one, I guess. This has been Meanwhile Uncharted. Then we watched Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about It's Just Like Riding a Bike. So this episode is about two things. It's about Rory, like, waiting to hear back about that fellowship that she desperately wants, that she gave up her job for. And also about Lorelai reestablishing and relearning how to have a friendship with Luke. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the title comes from, is it's like her relationship with Luke, like getting back into it was just like riding a bike. Like, oh, do I know how to do this? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I would say that's where the title comes from. She is literally riding a bike, but I I think it's more about what you said. Yeah. The episode starts with Lorelai standing outside of Luke's, nervous, gathering her courage to go in. She does. You can't tell what she's doing right away. She just seems like she's solemn for a second, like gathering herself. But then you see that she's going into Luke's, and she sits at the counter right next to Kirk, who has taken her old seat, and he refuses to give it back. He's like, this is the best seat. You get FaceTime with Luke. It's great. I'm never giving it back. She's like, that's fine, dude. I feel like she doesn't always sit in the same seat. She doesn't always, but she does sit there a lot. Luke comes out and is a little surprised to see her. He's a little nonplussed, but uh, she says she wants a coffee to stay. So that's a good sign. But things aren't perfect yet between them. If you guys remember, they almost got married. Uh, then she slept <laughs> with Chris. And then they were not good for a long time. But then they ran each other in a hay maze and uh, apologized to each other. Mm-hmm. So now they can be friends again. But it's still awkward. They haven't figured out, like riding a bike again, how this all is supposed to go. It goes downhill pretty quickly. There's a lot of uh, awkward small talks, long, empty pauses. They start talking about the weather, so you know it's over. And then she's like, you know, actually, I needed my coffee to go. Suki calls. Her kids have the chicken pox, and she needs a place for Jackson to stay because he has never had the chicken pox. I've never had the chicken pox. You haven't? I got vaccinated, but I was, like, kind of old when I got vaccinated, and I was supposed to get a second dose, and I never did. So I don't know if I'm good or not. Well, you should stay at Lorelai's house if I get it. Yeah. Lorelai offers to house Jackson. The inn is full right now, by the way. That's why they can't do it there. She's like, yeah, she can just stay with me. It's no problem. But then Suki's like, ah, you don't want that. He sucks. He's a slob. He's going to annoy you all the time. She is just shitting on Jackson hard about, like, what a bad, unpleasant person he is to live with. But Lorelai's like, no, I could do it. It's fine. Then her car just gives out in the middle of the street. Her Jeep just stops running. She's like, that's not good. Meanwhile, Rory comes home to her apartment to a panicked Paris and an anxious Doyle. 
Paris is pretty funny because she like knows exactly when Rory got out of class. She's like, where have you been? You should have been here X amount of time ago. <laughs> Paris is freaking out because she has all of her letters back from the colleges she applied to on the table. And she's going to find out whether or not she got in. But she wants Rory there to open it with her. Probably for a sense of comfort, but also because she thinks she's lucky. This scene is just so funny. It's great. Top to bottom. It's long, too. It's a long scene. It is. She wants Rory to open the letters because she's lucky. And she says she's lucky because Rory got into Harvard, even though she didn't go there, and Paris didn't, which is a fun callback. And she also wants Rory to use her lucky letter opener, which is the one she used to find out she was getting into Yale. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And she, like, justifies it like, this isn't superstitious. If it doesn't work, whatever. I still need to open letters, but if it does, great. Mm-hmm. She's just, like, at 11 right now. Just, like, so panicked. She yells at Rory to use the opener. It's pretty fun. She's like, use the opener. (laughs) Then Rory jokes that her luck and the opener's luck might interfere with each other and cancel each other out. And poor Paris is all like, is that how it works? (laughs) It's really funny. Rory then starts opening the letters. And they all say the same thing. She opens Yale's first, which is Yale's law school. And she reads the first sentence, which is, we are pleased to inform you. And then everyone just starts jumping and screaming because they don't say, we're pleased to inform you that you didn't get in. You know, it's just like, we accepted you. So they scream and they holler and Paris is just so excited. She got into Yale. That means like, no matter what the other acceptance or rejection letters say, she got into an amazing school. It's all gravy at this point. She tells Rory that she saw her as a role model, especially because of the way she cut her ruthless path (laughs) to the editorship of the paper. And she really admired her for that. That's so funny because she's like, yeah, I still think that that was like an intentional thing you did to kick me out. (laughs) Rory's like, oh, okay, thank you. (laughs) Like you did some sociopathic shit to get what you want. And I admire you for that. Doyle is there too, very supportive of this. He is like just as excited as Paris is and just as yelly and screamy as the other two. Paris is like, I got in Yale. I don't even need to look at the other ones, but just for fun, let's open the letters. You might as well open the rest. It doesn't matter. Look at them. So we start opening them and she gets into every one of them. She reads the next one from uh, Harvard Medical School. The first sentence is, we are pleased to. And then they just start losing their shit again and screaming. Hugest reaction. (laughs) Yeah, huge reaction. Paris is funny. She almost wants to say no to Harvard Medical because they didn't take her in last time. Again, fun callback. Yeah, she's like, bite me. Rory reads some other ones from like University of Pennsylvania. And, you know, they react, but it's not quite as big. And this is a funny bit because then throughout the rest of the episode, Paris blames, quote unquote, blames Rory for um, her having to give more weight to Harvard because it's got more like prestige. And because Rory was like more excited about that one. (laughs) Yeah, she, like, really reads into the fact that Doyle and Rory were not as excited about getting... And she, like, reluctantly is like, so I guess I have to give that one more ranking than the other ones because that's how other people are going to view it. She's like, you just want to fucking go there, Paris. The Rory and Doyle kind of just, like, start telling her what she needs to hear the whole rest of the scene because she's all over the place. What do you mean by that? Well, like, th- she's like, why weren't you as excited? And they just, like, make something up. Right. But also, it's like, we've already done a billion of these. They're all going to say, yes, you got into the big ones. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is Paris, so she immediately tries to find the cloud in the silver lining. (laughs) And she's like, I've got too many options now. I don't know what to do. They're all good. I wish just one of them had let me in. And she says to Rory, like, you don't get it. You know exactly what you want. You know, if you don't get this fellowship at the New York Times, and then you have to choose between your other schools, then you can talk to me about this. Then Paris feels bad. She's immediately like, okay, I I didn't mean that. Sorry about that. I I bet you're going to get that fellowship. Sorry. Which I I liked. I love that Paris is like too much, but she cares about Rory. 
It's like when Kennedy said that thing to Buffy. Totally. Connection. It's so funny to watch Paris get like less and less excited. Yeah. She like gets into Columbia and Doyle and Roy are excited and Paris is just like upset. Yeah. She gets into Stanford and then just walks off to the couch and starts to cry into a pillow in the fetal position. Yeah, she like squats on the couch. It's such a funny position. It's just so funny that the scene starts then like, yeah. And then she's just on the couch because she got into too many colleges. She gets into more throughout the episode. Yep. It's a very, very, very funny scene. And I loved it a lot. Rory, though, is still waiting to hear back about that fellowship. Meanwhile, Gypsy tells Lorelai that she can't fix the car. It's totally broken. She describes it as total internal destruction, which makes me wonder, what did you do, Lorelai? And I do believe Lorelai would ruin a car. She would, like, think it doesn't like a type of gas or doesn't want oil or something. Suki drops Jackson off to stay at Lorelai's, and while Lorelai's on the phone, Suki talks to Jackson like he's a problematic child who's, like, constantly getting into trouble. She's like, don't make yourself too at home. Wipe your shoes when you come inside. Don't leave your clothes or towels around where people can see and smell that stuff. You eat on the table and you don't make a mess. She's just, like, clearly, like, mad at him. Like, Jesus Christ. There's a lot. Yeah, I put together what was happening already because I think it's clear, but, like, for a little bit, it's just like, why do you hate Jackson? There's reasons. She leaves Jackson there with like a sad salad that he's supposed to eat at the table. Lorelai comes in and is like, you can eat chicken nuggets with me. I'm not going to tell Suki about it. I feel like Suki's not a health food person, though, so I'm not that crazy. What time is it? Because Lorelai says she's making a snack, chicken nuggets. So like, was the salad supposed to be like a nighttime snack for him? Yeah, I don't know. It's or like his weird. dinner? It's just like weird that Lorelai put a label on the chicken nuggets as being a snack. Yeah. Lorelai doesn't have a car at the moment, so she's going to just start riding her old bike to work, which she does in a scene that's very reminiscent of the one of Spike and Andrew Mm -hmm. going to that uh, monastery. It's shot similarly. I mean, there's not really a lot of ways to shoot someone on a bike, but. No, but it's both episodes had bike scenes or bicycle things. Conversations while riding on a bike. She has got a cell phone like earpiece in. Now, you said you had one of these. Yeah, it like came with my. You know, brick phone that I had before I got like a flip phone. It was a Kyocera, the type of phone I had, but it came with like a little thing you plug into the headphone jack and had like one earpiece with a microphone. I used it to like talk to my boyfriend in bed. Like we were separate. <laughs> like he was a his yeah. on the phone. You have to like hold the phone up to your ear. I mean, it's kind of like what headphones are now with phones, but it was only one ear. Right. It looks bulky and it's just hanging from her ear. You didn't have this? I did not have this. Hmm. Also, I don't like her dress. I know you do, but I don't like the little things on this. She looks like a witch on this bicycle. I think it's maybe a shirt, but it's, yeah, she's got like big poofy shoulders that you are not a fan of. I go back and forth. Some scenes I like the outfit, some scenes I don't. I'm waiting for a tornado to just pick her up. You also didn't like the dress in the beginning scene with like the tie. I think that one's pretty. I don't, and I'm not going to take it back. Rory tells her mother that she's bummed that everyone she knows seems to be getting accepted to grad schools or think tanks or seems to at least know what they want to do with their future. Like her friends Lucy and Olivia, they're deciding to move to New York and they've already got an apartment there together and she feels really left out and she's just sitting here nervously awaiting her long shot rest and fellowship future. She's just like, that's, I, everyone else knows and I don't. And this is kind of nice because they've touched on this uncertainty about the future before with yeah. Rory this season. Lorelai assures her that she thinks she's going to get this rest in fellowship. And Rory, like, wants it so bad. Like, she's already, like, romanticized living in New York City and working for the Times. And I totally get that. I feel like that's every young journalism student's, like, dream. 
I'm going to work for one of the most respected newspapers in the world, in the biggest city in the country. Like, yeah, I get it. I wanted that too. And, and the writers, it's just like, yeah, this is the dream, right? It is the dream. But it's also like uh, not a lot of people get that dream. But Rory's special. She's special because the show says she is. Rory realizes that Lorelai's on a bike and she hasn't had her coffee and encourages her to go to Luke's and just get over this like awkwardness hump they have. She's like, you'll get over it. It's kind of like riding a bike. She doesn't say that, but like. She's very concerned that Lorelai's on a bike. She's like, pull over. It's dangerous. I don't, I don't know why she's worried about her. Because her mother's a klutz. I guess. It's like reminiscent of when everybody was worried about her getting a pet. Yeah, and honestly, I'm surprised her dog is alive. And he does show up in this episode. Yeah. She didn't talk about the biking going badly in the past. No, you're right. That would have made more sense, like, if she had a history of bike accidents. Right. like, Luke is worried about her riding a bike, too. Well, she says that she hasn't done it in years, so. Sure. It's I mean, been, like, 12 years. It's not like she's biking in New York City. Yeah. As a journalist working for the Times. <laughs> biking here is scary. I could never. When she finally gets to work, Suki is just really surprised that Jackson isn't annoying the shit out of Lorelai yet. She's like, you could tell me. What's he doing? Come on. Give me something. What's he doing? I hate him. She asks if he woke her up this morning with all his stomping, and Lorelai says no. The only bathroom at Lorelai's house is in her bedroom. Yeah. So does he just have to, like, go into her room to pee, and somehow she didn't wake up? I think Suki probably told him, like, pee at the table. Don't make a mess. <laughs> Pee into Don't the leave your towels the on the salad. Floor. The pee-filled towels. I do want to say something nice about this little scene. This season, they've done a really good job of when Suki's talking to Lorelai in the kitchen. Suki is still like managing the kitchen, and it's small and doesn't seem like a big deal. But I, I like it. Like she kind of just casually gives orders to people as they come by, or like advice about food and stuff. And I like that. It really makes it feel like she is running this kitchen, and it is like a, a moving, busy kitchen. Yeah, she's great at like keeping busy. While paying attention to the scene. It just reminds me of like improv scenes where like, we're in a kitchen talking, but like, show me that you're in a kitchen, like stir a pot or something. But I feel like Melissa McCarthy's doing great. And some of it's written with her giving orders and stuff, but it, it, it seems very real. Honestly, Scott Patterson is probably pretty good at that too. There's a lot going on at Luke's. Mm -hmm. There's always like plates being delivered. There's choreography for that, that somebody had to work out. Yeah. So Lorelai does need a new car and she's decided she's going to treat herself to a brand new one. This might be because Michelle was disgusted when she suggests she could get a used one. He's all like, would you buy a used toilet seat? She's like, yeah, you don't put your bare butt on a car seat. And he's like, well, you hope they don't. I thought that was funny. Suki suggests that Lorelai ask Luke for help picking out a new car. That's something that Luke might be good at. So Lorelai goes to call Luke, and Suki gets a phone call from Jackson, and something bad has happened at the house. couple things about this scene. Michelle comes in, like, listing a bunch of expensive cars Lorelai should get. Yeah. And she's like, you drive a Golf, which I, I've heard of the brand Golf. I had to look up what it was. It's a Volkswagen. But that's what Clem drives. Oh, shit. Not a Golf, but a Volkswagen. That's funny. It was also funny when Sugi was, like, trying to have Lorelai close her eyes and picture her dream car, and it was a swan float. Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lorelai fantasy. But also, Michelle's outfit was wild. Yeah. He was wearing, like, a blue and pink pastel striped shirt, vertical stripes, with, like, a black or navy tie with, like, bright colored shapes on it. It just was, like, such a bold tie with a yeah. pretty bold shirt that, that didn't really complement each other color-wise. He's been known to wear the same color tie as his shirt, so it was just, like, quite a statement. When Lorelai calls Luke, he is, of course, immediately ready to help her, because that's what he does. He picks her up, and their awkwardness is still lingering, maybe a little bit better, but it's still there. 
small talk doesn't really work that well. She like makes a joke and he doesn't get it as a joke. And so they just turn on the broken radio to like fill that silence. It's not quite fixed between them yet. Things only get more awkward as they car shop. She like doesn't like any of the cars she sees. She's trying to buy a car based on getting a feeling about the car. And obviously Luke is not about that at all. He's all about logic and utility. He's kind of rude to her. She talks about being based on a feeling. He's like, yeah, right. Like, coughs under his breath. It's like, Yeah, but I mean, I think it is nonsense what she's fucking saying. Totally. She's being a lot. This is very Lorelai behavior. Like, over-the-top, picky, childish. I don't blame Luke at all for being annoyed with her because, like, she doesn't even know what she doesn't like about cars because he's like, okay, what didn't she like about that car? So we know for the next one, you know, to avoid whatever. And she's like, I don't know. I didn't have a feeling. He's like, okay. What about a Prius? Well, Rory's got a Prius, so I can't have one. And she's got a bunch of nonsense rules and starts, like, assigning human traits to cars, like yeah. hatchbacks have inferiority complexes or, like, sports cars think they're better than other cars. So I'm on Team Luke here. I think it's clear that they've been shopping for a while and he's just, like, over it at this point. It was just, like, the insult under his breath that seemed out of character. Yeah, she keeps kind of ignoring it, too, because he does it, like, once or twice. She's like, what? Nothing? Okay. Finally, Luke gets to the point where he gets super pissed because she doesn't like the newest version of her car model. She's like, they've made some small changes. She's like, they've made some improvements. She's like, well, it's not quite the same. And so he's just pissed. He's like, whatever. And then she tries to, like, reenact a Snickers commercial with him. She's all like, you're hungry. You need something. (laughs) You're not being (laughs) yourself. She tries to find some food in her purse. They continue to fight. Luke getting more and more angry. But it's clear that Lorelai maybe likes this back and forth. She starts smiling. And it's like, oh, yeah, our bickering is uh, what we used to do all the time. This is a good sign. Meanwhile, Rory heads back to her apartment where she finds Doyle leaving her apartment pissed. Apparently, he and Paris broke up. And he doesn't even know why. He and Paris screaming at each other through the door and he leaves. But when Rory asks Paris why they broke up, she's like, well, I did it because I'm trying to make a big life decision. Do I want to go to law school or do I want to go to medical school? And I don't want to do it and base my decision on some college boyfriend that I just happen to have at the time. It's like odds are she won't stay with him. Yeah, she's like, I probably will break up and then I'll regret that I factored him into my decision making. Rory then asked Paris if she's okay, though, you know, that she just broke up. And Paris is like, yeah, I am. But she's not. So then they go out for drinks with Lucy and Olivia. Paris is clearly sad because she's drinking a lot. She's drinking her beer. She's drinking Rory's leftover beer. She's not doing good. So Rory, like, gets serious with her, and she's like, what's going on? Why did you do this? She asks if Doyle was pressuring her to accommodate him in her future plans, and Paris is like, no, he wasn't pressuring me at all, but I was still finding myself unconsciously taking him into account when making my decisions. I couldn't help but start to factor him in. And she kind of hates that she fell in love with somebody so early. She wasn't supposed to fall in love until she had a career in her 30s and could, like, make an informed decision then. Rory's all like, but Logan and I have decided to factor each other in. She's like, okay, cool. But if he goes to California, and that's where he is now, and gets a job, and you get this fellowship in New York, what are you going to do? Are you going to be doing any factoring then? And she's all like, yeah, I guess I'd go to New York, and then we'd do long distance. And Paris is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll see if that works. Seems clear that you do value your career more right now. She hadn't really thought about it. She's... Often hasn't really thought about things. Yeah, what is with Rory, the smartest girl in the world, but, like, overlooks huge things about her own life she should be, like, investigating? Like, extracurricular activities or what she's going to do after college? I don't know. She's got a weakness. This scene's funny, too, because Lucy and Olivia are, like, kind of bragging about their New York apartment situation. But, like, 
also it sounds terrible. Yes, <laughs> Lucy's yeah. way more positive about it than Olivia. Based on the trains they live near, they definitely live in Astoria, mm-hmm. which isn't too far from us. I was like, wait a minute, that's how I go to work. <laughs> but they say they live near the train. Olivia's like, well, it's it's a bit of a schlep. <laughs> like, it's, they sound like they don't live that close to the train. Yeah. I just love the phrase totally doable schlep. Then we find out what Jackson did. And honestly, he did do a big boo-boo. I guess Suki was right. <laughs> he was admiring Lorelai's childhood doghouse. No. Lorelai got put in a doghouse during her childhood. Did we ever mention that? He was admiring Lorelai's childhood dollhouse and then slipped on one of his pee towels. And <laughs> no, he was admiring this dollhouse because he thought he might want to make one for Martha, his daughter. But then he tried to pick it up and then he dropped it. And then he fell into it. So it's a big mess. It's very funny because we start the scene with Paul Anka examining the broken house and kind of doing like some low-key whines, like something bad happened. Aww. They have established that it's heavy. Yes. Remember Luke couldn't figure out how to get in the house? Yeah. Jackson also has like a Band-Aid on his head. Like he got in a Buffy fight. <laughs> with the house. Of course, this is just what Suki needs. A reason to really just dig into Jackson. And so she's just going off on him. And he finally calls her out saying that you're not actually mad at me about this. You're mad at me about lying to you about having the vasectomy and getting you pregnant. Which, yeah, man, that sucked that you did that. You shouldn't have done that. That's a horrible thing that you did. And she has every right to be mad at you. And honestly, she could divorce you for that. Yeah, I mean, I get why she wouldn't. She needs him to help her raise this child. She probably does love him, too. As I say, also, she loves him, clearly. But I would have been so furious... Yeah, but I get why he's like, we need to like talk about this and work through it. We can't just be mad forever. He says that to her and he's like, hey, you know, we need to get past this. And she's all like, okay. And they make up, I guess. They just sort of make up quickly right there because he says that they got to. Yeah, I mean, I I think it'll take time. But just acknowledging that like if they are going to stay together, she's not going to leave him. They do need to not be awkward forever. Yeah, and she seems sort of moved that he wanted to make this for Martha, too. Mm-hmm. I love when she says that he broke the only thing from Lorelai's childhood that she actually liked. <laughs> and you look with your eyes, not with your hands. Well, Lorelai comes home, and Suki tells her the bad news. She and Jackson are just on the porch, just sad, like a dog that knows that it's going to get in trouble when you get home, like tail between their legs. Polinka's outside, too. Yep. And she's, like, talking about how nostalgic she is for her car. So it's yeah. just like making it worse that they're going to have to tell her about this other nostalgic thing they destroyed. In their defense, they're like, we've sent it to this like dollhouse restorer and we're hoping he can fix it. Mm-hmm. Suki apologizes, too, because she had Jackson on edge. Yeah. Then we get this great scene at the end of the episode. Night falls and Luke shows up at Lorelai's house. This is so funny. And surprise, surprise to him, Jackson answers the door in his PJs just eating some chicken nuggets. His wrestling picture PJs. <laughs> yep. Love that those stay consistent. I just love, you just see Luke's face is like uh, trying to process like yeah. Jackson's here eating chicken nuggets in his PJs. Like what? Huh? huh? Are they dating? <laughs> Not like angry, just like what? And Jackson's oblivious. He's like, oh, we thought you might be the pizza guy. Doesn't give him any info. Yeah. And he says that, look, we're going to eat pizza on the couch. <laughs> So excited. Luke's like, uh, right, right. Huh? Luke has found somebody on Craigslist selling the exact same year car model as Lorelai's broken car. 
Luke, of course, has done an intense amount of research and background checks on this car. It's all good to go. It was well-maintained. He's also got confirmation from Gypsy that she can indeed take the engine out of this car they're buying and put it into Lorelai's old car so that she can then drive that car. He's also talked the guy down a grand and a half from his asking price for Lorelai. And he, like, spells it out to her, like, this is stupid. This is going to cost you way more than just buying a new car. You're essentially paying for a car twice. But I did it for you, because that's what you want, because you have a special feeling for this car. He's so clearly exasperated with her and doesn't understand any of this. But this is why Luke and Lorelai are so good together. Luke will do whatever it takes to make Lorelai happy. That's what he wants, is for Lorelai to be happy and safe. Even if he doesn't understand her point of view at all, even if he thinks she's just wrong, he wants her to be happy, and he will go out of his way to make her happy. It's like sort of like the opposite of Chris, where he's like, ah, I'm so frustrated that this is what I have to do to make you happy, but I will do it. She's ecstatic that he did all this, even though she's like still kind of play fighting with him. He storms off, I'm doing quotation for storms, telling her that if she's going to keep riding that bike around, she needs to come to the diner so he can put some air in the tires and also put a bell on it for her because it's unsafe. She's like, I don't want a bell. I want a horn. He's like, well, we'll put a horn on it. It was funny. I feel like, like she was being flirt fighting. difficult on purpose in this scene. Yes. I want a horn. But I think the important takeaway for me was that he, quote unquote, demanded that she come to Luke's, right? It's like, that's the olive branch. Like, come back to my diner, please. Oh, yeah. I mean, she has already, but I want to see you again. But then she left, and then she didn't come back the next day. So I think he's like, come back. I have an excuse. Come back. I love you. Come back. Mm -mm. So I think that this episode was at least cementing that their friendship is back. But to me, it's like, you guys are going to, we're finding the path back to being back together. The next day at Rory and Paris's house, Paris tells Rory that she's decided she wants to be a doctor. Paris and Rory, by the way, we're having like a full-on old married couple breakfast. (laughs) They're both... (laughs) Reading the paper, they have, like, juice and coffee. It's just, like, what college girls, like, get up and sit down and eat breakfast together? The girls that dream about working for the New York Times in (laughs) New York City. Then Doyle just walks in the apartment, confident as fuck. Just walks in, like, yeah, I still live here. I decided I'm not moving out. I also changed my mind. We're not breaking up. Pours himself some coffee. She's all like, no, you gotta leave. He's like, nah. I love you, Paris. You're the strongest, most infuriating woman, most exciting woman I've ever met, and there's no way I'm letting you go. So I've decided I'm just going to go wherever you go. Don't worry about me. I will just follow you wherever you go. She's like, we're too young. He's like, I'm older than you. I don't care. Yeah, I'm more mature. Like two years. Then the two of them just sort of like walk and talk their way into the bedroom to bang, I guess. They're still arguing, but yeah. They are still arguing, but I think it's... I feel like they have no problem arguing in front of Rory yeah, and their yeah, walk yeah. to the bedroom seems like it's a bit suggestive because I think that this was very moving for Paris. Yeah, even though she's not admitting it. Totally. It's a very cute little scene and we get to hear them continue to argue but also tell each other they love each other in the bedroom while Rory sees that she finally got a response about the fellowship. She opens the response letter from the rest in fellowship but it doesn't start like Paris's. It starts with, we regret to inform you. Uh-oh. And it doesn't say, we regret to inform you that you got double accepted. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't get it. And it's just sort of her taking that in. That's the end. What's she going to do now? I don't know. I mean, beg that job to give her the job back. <laughs> Listen, job. 
the the place in was Providence. She yeah. just asked them. The like, Procho. I was just kidding. She just shows up to work every day there, like she did the other place. Maybe she could just go to the place she currently has. Yeah, a job she does have a job. And be like, hey, I know I haven't been showing up at all, but I will now. Okay. No. Bye. <laughs> I'm gonna keep coming back until I don't. So Stacy, was this a good episode? Yeah. There were some really good parts. I get that they're trying to fix Luke and Lorelai, but like none of that car stuff was that fun to watch. It wasn't fun to watch them fight. And that's like how they made them better was through fighting. And Lorelai was being stupid. So I didn't enjoy that storyline that much. The Jackson and Suki stuff was kind of meh as well. But some of the stuff with like Jackson and Lorelai bonding was cute. And like that scene where Luke comes over with the pizza pajamas and all that. I liked that a lot. The Paris and Rory stuff was all great. The whole scene with Paris opening letters was fantastic. I liked what Paris is going through is sort of paralleling what Rory's going through, but also is opposite. Like Paris is succeeding now. Yeah. Which is also the opposite of how high school went. Rory got into all the schools and Paris was having a hard time. I'm glad that they had a redemption for Paris as far as getting into Harvard, too, because I feel like she deserved to get into Harvard the first time. Didn't she tank her interview? She did. But I feel like academically, she was just such a bright spot. Right. They justify it, but... I feel like on paper she deserved it. Um, and the ending was great. With Doyle being like, no, we're not breaking up. You're being dumb. We belong together. Things don't always go the way you plan. I mean, this is just what Buffy should have done. Yeah. She should have come back in and be like, you know what? I've decided I'm not leaving. You can make your decisions without factoring me in. Mm-hmm. So, yes and no. Like, it wasn't bad, but I just didn't love some of the storylines. But some of it was great. Yeah, I hear you. Do you think it was good? I thought it was okay. I, I think the Paris stuff was great. Everything else was eh. It wasn't a particularly funny outside of the Paris stuff. If the Paris stuff was all there was, I would say it's a great episode. But I do like them showcasing how much Luke is willing to do for Lorelai. Because I feel like the episode did. Even though it's like, yeah, Luke, why do you want to be with her though? She's so goddamn much. Yeah, I, I think it was maybe like the correct story to fix them. But I didn't like it that much. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it's just not as that fun to watch. So which episode do you think was better? I think Buffy. I'm torn. For me, it was that Willow scene. It's just Allison was killing it. I think I might go Gilmore. Sure. It's it's neither or that. I don't know. There's like a lot I don't like about both. Mm -hmm. But I I think there's just some more stuff in Gilmore that I did like. Cool. I don't know. It's, It's a hard one. I didn't really enjoy this Buffy that much. There weren't that many, like, enjoyable scenes. I agree the scene with Xander and Willow was nice on the Willow end. And I get why people are going to disagree with me because they hate that Buffy got kicked out of her house. But that's the one I'm going with. I just think I enjoyed more parts of Gilmore Girls, even though I didn't enjoy some of it. Weak, weak shows. (laughs) I have high hopes that the rest will be good, though. There's some Gilmore stuff coming up, Brian. I'm excited. How's the rest of Buffy looking? It's looking pretty good. All right. If you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 7, Episode 20, Lorelei. Lorelei? As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 7, Episode 20, Touched. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Like, do you think it was a stupid idea for Faith to take them to the bronze? Or did they need to blow off some steam, Logan style? Just give us all your thoughts on the Buffy getting kicked out of the house scene. I know you have a lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions. Into an email, send it over in a truck. I have the hiccups right now. He does. It's been a struggle. I've been trying to hide it from you guys. I think it came out there. I've I've edited so many out. (laughs) 
you just future you saying that. I know. I know what future me is going to have to do. There I left go. that one in. <laughs> <laughs> His hiccups aren't cute. I hate the hiccups, by the way. They scare me. I like never get them. I've gotten them like twice in the last five years. <laughs> scary. I'm always like, why is this happening to me? But also, do you think Paris should be a doctor or a lawyer? I hear Paris's point, man. Like, I, I get her instinct to not want to just, like, settle for some guy she dated in college. But she's not settling. They're great. Do you think Suki and Jackson should just get a divorce? Do you think Giles was hoping Andrew would die in the field? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer. We post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. I'm trying not to hiccup. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live streamed watch parties at Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscriber, Kara. Thank you. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description. <sighs> found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bio. It happened at the same spot. I know. (laughs) Your hiccups are on a timer. (laughs) And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we'll give you a shout-out on upcoming podcasts. You sound so troubled, Brian Morris. (laughs) You're like a frog. Yeah. Oh, this is kind of a fun story. One time, shortly after we started dating, Brian had the hiccups. And I turned to him and, like, very seriously said I was pregnant. I was not, of course, but it worked. My hiccups immediately disappeared. Because you're supposed to scare someone when they have the hiccups. And uh, I knew what would scare him. Yeah, she was right. It scared me. I just, I didn't think it would actually work, and it did. But now you're over it. That doesn't work anymore. (laughs) Yeah, she used to say it to me all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I still got the hiccups. It just, like, would not have been the time or place for me to tell you I was pregnant. Do you remember where it was? Yeah, it was downstairs at our loft. No. No, it was not. It was in the um, the basement of a Planned Parenthood. <laughs> okay. Do we want to give them context or? Do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do we just want to say that? I think we should. I think you also tried this again at the loft. End the maybe, way. maybe. We lived in a loft apartment. But okay, basement of the Planned Parenthood. Here's some context real quick. The improv group we were part of where we met. We did shows at like a cafe and eventually our own theater. But early on, we taught classes and did rehearsals in a space we rented. That was under an old Planned Parenthood. It was bizarre because sometimes there'd be like protesters and stuff outside. And you'd have to be like, what? Oh, yes. For the Planned Parenthood. I like, would forget that that's what we were under. Oh, really? I think by the time I joined, it was no longer a Planned Parenthood. They had built another one in a different part of town. But when you were there, it was still Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And they, the protester thing didn't happen a lot, but it it happened twice. And they, and they, were most, they weren't like angry protesters. They were just like, like women with signs like praying and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we were just like, no, we're just in the basement. We're just doing make-believe down there. And they're like, oh, okay. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm going to go drink a bunch of water upside down. See you next time. Bye. Bye.